Om namo bhagavate vasudevaya Om namo bhagavate vasudevaya Om namo bhagavate vasudevaya Nasta priyeshu abhiyeshu nicham bhagavata sevaya Bhagavachutamashloke bhaktir bhavati naistiki Good evening everyone uh, Let us begin this evening by chanting four verses from the Srimad Bhagavatam speaking of the <coughs> revelation of Sri Vyasadeva in Samadhi which are the nucleus around which the message of the Bhagavatam is uh, brought forth by Srila Jiva Goswami in his Satsandarbhas in that mind which was undisturbed because it was pure from the performance of bhakti he saw Lord Krishna complete with all his energies and spiritual expansions and also saw Maya who took shelter behind the Lord bewildered by that Maya the jiva though separate from the three gunas considers himself made of the three gunas and takes on material existence created by the gunas and Vyasa Bhakti Yoga to the Lord which effectively destroys jivas samsara Learn Vyas then wrote the Bhagavatam for ignorant people. By hearing Bhagavatam, Bhakti for the Supreme Lord, Krishna, appears. Hearing it also destroys lamentation, illusion, and fear in the human being. This evening we'll be discussing the fourth of these four verses from the Srimad Bhagavatam as explained in the Tattvasandarbha by Srila Jiva Goswami in his 47th Anucheda praying for the Purna Purusha self-manifests out of its own prior state as affecting means praying for the Purna Purusha self-manifests out of its own prior state as affecting means would you like an explanation? Yes, please. All right. These are Jiva Goswami's, uh, an English translation of Jiva's 47th Anucheda. It's in two parts. And I think after you hear this, it will become clear what this condensed definition of the Anucheda means. Next, to make evident the ultimate attainment. Prayojan, as discussed previously in Anucheda 45, and to affirm that the Purna Purusha mentioned above in Srimad Bhagavatam 1, 7, 4, which is the first of the four verses, is in fact Sri Krishna. Sutta Goswami reveals another of Srila Vyasudeva's direct perceptions in the state of samadhi. Jiva Goswami is referring to this verse that we chanted, the last one, which is the seventh, which is specified by Sutta as the ultimate fruit of hearing Srimad Bhagavatam. This is spoken of in the verse beginning Yashyam, 177. In this verse, the word bhakti refers to pure love of God. So now we're at the attainment. What is the sadhana and what is the sajja? In this verse, the word bhakti refers to pure love of God 
because it is the final attainment, sajja, to be brought about through its affecting means, sadhana, the devotional practice of hearing. The verb upajate is generated, here means love of God self-manifests. A literal translation of the word in the verse upajate is generated. So when you hear the Sanskrit word upajate, we think of something that's generated, like a plant is generated from a seed, or electricity is generated from a turbine. But here, Jiva says, love of God self-manifests. So although the word in the verse is upadyate, we should understand that it shouldn't be taken in its literal meaning because bhakti cannot be generated. Bhakti is eternal. It's ever-existing. It has no cause. It is causeless. It's hard to understand that it's causeless because everything we experience in life has a cause. And along comes bhakti, and she's completely independent. She has no cause. She is free. But can't you say she's generated within a... I mean, it's by her own grace or mercy that she enters the soul of a jiva. Yes, but that's not the same as created or generated. That's the point jiva's making. Okay. So, no, you can't say that it's, it has a cause. It's causeless. Madhurya Kadamani made it quite clear that bhakti is independent, independent, fully independent. Now we attribute to the heart of the bhakta the fact that she resides there and by his association we can be blessed by her. But the main point to be taken from all this is Bhakti is not like anything that we are used to. And if we want to look to, to understand bhakti, we have to understand her in the purest sense of the term. And the purest sense of the term is she is completely independent and ahaitakiya pratiyata. Our service in order to, to advance in bhakti is is more of one of associating with her through the sadhus, through the deities, through the, through the mantra, through japa. We're, we're decreasing our association with the Lord's external potency and increasing our association with his internal potency. But it's important we understand that we're entering into a different realm of interaction and in this realm love rules rules don't rule in the world this world rules rule if I put in I get out I put in my 40 hours I get my paycheck so everything here is has a cause and it has a reaction now you're entering into the different a different realm altogether in this English translation, this is brought out. Although the word in the verse, upajate, 
has a definition of generated, we must understand it means self-manifest. Sutta Goswami also describes a concomitant consequence of the appearance of divine love, namely that it destroys all lamentation, illusion, and fear, being that even the subconscious psychic imprints, samskaras, of these mind states are destroyed. And again, when we talk of the the effectiveness, the completeness of bhakti in relationship to these items which are external to our true existence, which are bore of the modes of material nature, their elimination is absolute. So that's important because here in the translation it's saying subconscious psychic imprints, samskaras, subconscious psychic imprints. These are there. Lamentation, illusion, fear. And just by engagement in bhakti, well, not by engagement, just by being associated with bhakti, just like being, by being near bhakti. So even when we speak of bhakti, we use terminology that's, that's bore of this world for the most part. And that sometimes carries some dire consequence for us when we try to understand certain philosophical points. And even within the Vaishnav community, there's sometimes arguing this way and that about a philosophical point. But if we can understand how to see through the eyes of a great sadhu like this logician, the greatest logician, Jiva Goswami, then steering a clear course through such misconceptions or discussions or arguments becomes very easy. Because you can see that sometimes the person making the counter-argument doesn't even have a proper understanding of how bhakti works, how she's independent, how it's not causal, it's not consequentialism, it's not a consequence of, I accept a guru, I'm going to go back to Raj. It's not a consequential thing. There's a lot of things that can happen between point A and the sadhya. It could be a long time. We could be diverted. We could develop association with a sadhu of a lesser caliber. It's possible. So understanding these things as seen in light of the core tattvas that comprise the siddhanta is really helpful for, to us. That this is so is implied in the statement of Sri Rishavdev. That this, we're referring back to lamentation, illusion, and fear being dissipated. It's implied in what Lord Rishavdev said. And then Jiva Goswami quotes a verse by Lord Rishavdev from the fifth canto. Therefore, until one has love for me, Sri Vyasudev, he is certainly not delivered from identification with material embodiment. We can see from this statement that 
lamentation, illusion, and fear are not going to be dissipated until praying has come. For the most part, they are going to be diminished to such an extent that they will not interfere longer with our spiritual progress. But they're not completely removed until there's no longer a material body. And the body, when we have no necessity for a body that carries some scaras, these deep psychic imprints, well, that's the ultimate attainment. And why would there be a necessity to carry this body? Because of desires? Yeah, if we still have any tinge of material desire, there's going to be some body to, some body to effectuate that. Now this Abhicheta comes in two parts, so I'll read the second part. In this verse, again we're referring to 177, the last of the four, the word Paramapurusha, unto the Supreme Person, refers to the same Purnapurusha, the complete person, mentioned earlier in Srimad Bhagavatam 174, the first verse. Both these verses are referring to that Supreme Person. And what is the specific form or identity of the Purna Purusha? Anticipating this question, Sri Sutta Goswami replies, To us, it's, it's, it's like understood we're talking about Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead who resides in Galoka Vrindavan, in Vraj, with all of his friends. And we hear the Supreme Purusha, we think Krishna's to Bhagavan Swayam. Well, that's good. That's what we're supposed to do. That's what the name Krishna implies. But the first verse doesn't mention Krishna by name. The first person mentions the Purusham Purnam. So when we say Purusha, Purusha Purnam, the original Purusha, well, are we referring to Krishna? Are we referring to the Purusha avatars? Wouldn't that be Karnadakshai Vishnu? Now, Jiva Goswami's already dealt with this in an earlier Anucheda. He's already dealt with the fourth verse. And he's, he's pointed out, no, it can only mean Krishna. Now in this verse, well at least we have the name Krishna there. So we would think, well we're referring to Krishna. Well, Jiva Goswami's just not going to leave it go at that. He's going to make sure there's no question, no doubt. So therefore in this Anucheta he goes on. And what is the specific form of the Godhead? Or identity of the Purna Purusha? Anticipating this question, he points out that Sri Sutta Goswami replies, He is Krishna. In other words, the complete person is expressly identified as Sri Krishna, as he who is immediately present interior to consciousness for particular individuals as soon as they simply hear his name, and also as he whose attention is immediately drawn to the same individuals as soon as they utter the first syllable of his name in mantra yoga. Jiva Goswami is saying this is Sri Krishna that Sutta Goswami is referring to in the verse. 
And this is a characteristic that when you hear this word Krishna, when the Vaishnav hears this word, immediately he thinks of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And immediately when that Supreme Personality of Godhead hears his name on the lips of his devotee, his attention is drawn to that devotee. So this is a char- the characteristic of the exchange that constitutes Swayam Bhagavan. Those for whom Krishna is immediately present or drawn to, such as hearing or chanting of his name, include who are those people who, when they hear the name Krishna, they immediately think of Raj Krishna. Krishna, the son of Yasoda, who was suckled by Yasoda, who is the color of a tamal tree. So who are those people? What is your praman? Is basically what Jeevas say. What we're looking at when we look to this name, Krishna, is the sadhus of the topmost character. Those for whom Sri Krishna is immediately present and drawn to, he's immediately present for the sadhu, and Krishna is drawn to them through such hearing or chanting of his name, include those great souls like Sutta Goswami, whose psychics have been imprinted with and transformed by thousands of spiritual statements such as Krishna's to Bhagavan Swayam. This is a characteristic of those sadhus. They've immersed themselves what is the word here? Thousands of scriptural statements have been imprinted. They become their spiritual samskaras whereby this is their ultimate prayojan. Their ultimate attainment is, their ultimate conception is Lord Krishna in Vraj. And also those innumerable celebrated and highly realized individuals. So again, to the question, what is the identity of the complete person? It is said, he is Sri Krishna, having the characteristics described above, which are implied in the statement of the verse that Krishna is the one for whom divine love becomes established in certain individuals simply by hearing Srimad Bhagavatam. That Sri Krishna is specified in this way to make evident by the author of Nam Namakamudi. The conventional meanings of the name Krishna are he was black like a tamal tree, he who has breastfed by Sri Yasoda and the Supreme Brahman. It seems like a lot of repetition, but we see in Jiva he's he's giving these Anuchetas He's backing up his statements by immense depth of understanding of Shastra and he's playing out all the possibilities for us in his explanations. So a few comments in regards to these Anuchetas. 
First, when we look at this verse, 177, the fourth verse, again, we have the words bhakti yoga. The bhakti yoga in the fourth verse is referring to prem bhakta. So remember, in the first verse, it was referring to prem bhakta. The first verse was referring to prem bhakta because Vyasadeva could not have seen the Supreme Lord unless he was in praying. There is no possibility. So that audience wherein he saw the Lord, he saw his internal and external potencies, and he saw Maya, and he saw the Jiva. That was due to his praying. Bhakti Yogena Manasi Samyak Pranahite Malay In that mind which was undisturbed because it was pure from performance of bhakti. In the fourth verse, again, this verse is referring to praying. By hearing Bhagavatam, bhakti for the Supreme Lord appears. 177 can only refer to praying bhakti, not sadhana bhakti, since hearing Srimad Bhagavatam is itself sadhana bhakti. A subtle point. Hearing is the sadhana. Hearing Srimad Bhagavatam is the sadhana. So here we're talking about the result of the hearing. The result has to be prayed bhakta. Upajate is generated. Utpajate is generated does not mean that love of God is created anew. But that it becomes manifest in the heart. Why is it not created? Because it's what? Its characteristic is it's part of the Supreme Lord's Sharup Shakti. So his Sharup Shakti is part of himself. It's. Yes, it's eternal. We can't say Krishna came into existence at a certain point in time. Similarly, we can't say that love of God is created anew. That's a misunderstanding. It may be new to us in that we come into its into its association, but it its nature is it's it's part of the Sarup Shakti and its eternal potency of the Supreme Lord. It exists eternally in the heart of the perfected devotees. Siddhabhaktis, it is never created. Now we come to the proper understanding and I had an improper understanding I even remember a class I gave in regards to this verse Nichisita Krishna Prema Sajikabunaya Shravanade Sudichite Kareye Udaya but this verse from the Chaitanya Charitamrita Nichisita Krishna Prema those Nichisitas have Krishna praying in their heart. Shravanada Sudichita Kareya Udaya. Shravana by hearing from those pure devotees. Sudachitta the, the the chitta becomes purified. And they also can have bhakti enter their heart. Again, this is a, a contemporary argument is there 
in that some Vaishnavas are saying that there is an inherency of bhakti in the heart of the jiva. The Tatasta Shakti has no inherent, no inherent bhakti. Bhakti comes from the heart of the sadhu, or from Krishna directly, in a rare instance. It's never created. Pure love for Krishna is eternally established in the hearts of the Siddha Bhaktis. This is a proper English translation of this verse from Chaitanya Charitamrita. It is not something to be gained from another source. Again, in parentheses here, in reference to the verse, the fourth verse, and the use of the word upajate, not a generated event. When the heart is purified by hearing and chanting, this love naturally awakens. But it's not like it was sleeping in the heart. Let's not be... Again, even when we, when we use the words, the English language, there's ways you can read, we can read in, well, that it awakened. Mm -hmm. It was sleeping in my heart. No. That's not what the verse is saying. Now we come to another another point. Sadhana bhakti does not produce praise. It's not a causal relationship. It's not like you do sadhana and you create praying from your sadhana. You increase your association with praying. You decrease the influence of the modes of material nature. Praying itself destroys what? Destroys those samskaras of illusion and fear, lamentation. And as those dissipate, then the praying can take effect. The praying is taking effect because it is bestowed by the mercy of the sadhu. Praying manifests of its own accord in the heart, which is devotionally turned through the medium of sadhana. Sadhana is not the cause but is generally the prior condition. Generally. Not always. There are rare exceptions. There are rare exceptions where sadhana is not the prior state. Prame immediately awakens. But generally speaking, it's a gradual process. Bhakti reveals itself partially in correspondence to the eligibility of the performer. What eligibility could we have for praying bhakta? What eligibility is there? The jiva, conditioned by the modes of material nature, comes forth with no praying of its own and only samskaras, impressions from what? Causal activities within the Lord's external potency influenced by the modes of material nature so what's, what's this mean the eligibility of the performer what eligibility what do we have going for us that would give us an opportunity for bhakti 
And what was what does Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur point out in this regard in Madhurya Kadambani when he's analyzing the verse of Srila Rupa Goswami, the two verses, the slokas from Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, Adao Shraddha Tata Sadhu, Sangotha Bhajana Kriya. What's he point out? He goes to great pains that what it's causeless. It's causeless. And what? Yadrikshaya. Good fortune. What is that good fortune? Association with the sadhu. Bhakti is in the heart of the sadhu. What is our eligibility? It comes from the heart of the sadhu. We have no eligibility of our own because we have no prior impressions of bhakti. They did not they did not exist before we had the association of the sadhu. So the sadhu is giving us the opportunity for eligibility. But without his association, without his direction, without the bhakti in his heart coming into us, without that, what is the question of eligibility on our part? When we come to this stage of understanding, then we are approaching nista. Then we are approaching a stage where the anarthas, the misconceptions, are dissipating. Because what is the characteristic of that stage of nista as pointed out in Sri Chaitanya Sikshastika? Humility. Trinadupi sunichena. We start to cry incessantly, realizing there's nothing, nothing that I've done to deserve this. In the beginning, we have so many samskaras and so many misconceptions which are referred to as anarthas regarding the nature of our being and the nature of a spiritual life and the nature of the Supreme that this gradual association through bhajan, bhajana kriya, has to clear those anarthas. When those anarthas begin to clear to the point that a steadiness and understanding comes to us, then that steady steadiness leads to a level of humility. And now we're speaking of the stage of nista. Trinadapi suniche na, trorapi suhisana, mane na manode na, kirtaniya the sadhaka is now surrendered. Gratefulness enters his heart to such an extent that humility overwhelms him. No false prestige. Whatever I can do, however, I can maintain this association with the sadhu and serve in any way. This is my greatest good fortune. There's nothing qualifying me for this good fortune. It's come to me somehow or other. Sadhana has no cause but is generated by prior condition. Bhakti reveals itself partially in correspondence to the eligibility of the performer. Krishna speaking to Arjuna. 
All of them, as they surrender unto me, I reward accordingly. Can you just say it's not causal? And now Krishna is telling Arjuna, well, it's causal. What kind of surrender are we talking? We're not talking about activities anymore on the material plane. It's not causal within the gunas, within Krishna's external potency. What is that surrender? The surrender is a manifestation of love. He, Krishna could say, all of those as they love me, I love them back just as much. What do you mean just as much? Well, no, it's not really just as much now, is it? Because the Jivatma, and you're infinitesimal, and here's the supreme Bhagavan, he's unlimited. We can give just a little bit, and he gives back, and it overwhelms us. Up to a certain point. Those other points are there. When the Leela becomes very intense, when the purity is of a level of total self-giving, as exemplified by the gopis and Krishna's other eternal associates, then Krishna himself may come and say, I can never repay you. You love me so much. I cannot repay this love. Then we have an existential crisis and we have another special circumstance. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. That's another topic. Bhakti reveals itself in different stages of completion. Sadhana, Bhava, and Prem. Lamentation, lamentation, delusion, and fear are dissipated by Bhakti along with their subconscious psychic imprints, samskaras. There's no other way to eradicate bodily attachment. We have to apologize on Krishna's behalf to all the great jnanis and all the great yogis and all the great yogis. No matter how much they endeavor in the field, in the playground, in Maya's backyard for absolute perfection. Without bhakti, it'll never be attained. They can do a lot. We've seen from the Bhagavatam how much can be accomplished by the materialist through knowledge, through renunciation, through yoga. But it's not an ultimate attainment. It's still somewhat tinged. For the bhakta, what is this first saying? Just hear Srimad Bhagavatam. You don't have to stand in a anthill and let the ants consume all your flesh and enter into the marrow of your bones just to survive on one leg with your hands in the air for what seems like eternity until the creator of the universe personally comes to you and says settle down what do you want the power of your austerities is upsetting the entire universe for the bhakta attainment of his his sajja his prayojan simply by hearing Srimad Bhagavatam hearing Srimad Bhagavatam to the point that it can enter into us becoming as Jiva Goswami pointed out 
hearing these verses thousands of times replaces those material samskaras with spiritual substance. We'll finish this evening in a little bit of the technicalities of Krishna's name within scripture because sometimes Jiva likes to make sure it has to be absolutely established without a shadow of a doubt. Without a shadow of a doubt, there could be other people named Krishna. In fact, Arjuna is sometimes referred to as Krishna. In the Bhagavatam, Kunti Devi, Kunti Devi refers to Krishna as Krishna Saka. She's talking to Krishna and saying, you're the friend of Krishna. No, she's referring to you're the friend of Arjuna. Vyasadeva is sometimes called Krishna. So the characteristics are there that establish Krishna beyond a shadow of a doubt. Characteristics of Krishna, the Supreme Absolute. He is the color of a tamal Cree, and he is suckled by Mother Yasoda. So, in saying that, he's distinguishing Krishna from the Krishna of Mathura Dorka. Krishna wasn't suckled by Yasoda in those places. But wait, Fraj is a pretty big place. Unlimited coward boys and gopis and families there. There could be another personality named Krishna. That other personality can also be dark like a tamal tree and could also have a mother named Yasoda. So the definition goes on to say the Supreme Brahman. That Krishna, who is the color of a tamal tree, who's suckled by Mother Yasoda, and who is the Supreme Brahman, that's what we're referring to here. And some characteristics of that name Krishna. It has some specific potencies. The potency being that when those devotees who have that conception of the Supreme Absolute Truth vibrate that name, they immediately think of that Krishna. And when that Krishna hears his name from the lips of his devotees, it immediately captures his attention. Simply by chanting the holy name of Lord Vishnu, such sinful persons may attract the attention of the Supreme Lord, who therefore considers, because this man has chanted my holy name, my duty is to give him protection. Any questions? Thank you very much for your association. Thank you. Thank you. Hare Krishna.